the soothing sounds of Ghost there. Uh, mm-hmm. Caroline, you and I saw Ghost. Um, just Ghost the band, not Ghost the paranormal entity. Sean still isn't a believer. No, although Carrie can give uh, an update on uh, a potential encounter we've had in this house, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, maybe at the end of the episode. But uh, we saw the band Ghost, mm-hmm. and um, great show. Awesome show. One of the best I've seen. Uh, one of the best shows. But they didn't play that song, uh, no. Elizabeth. They don't play it on tour. I think the whole song is above uh, Papa Emeritus Force uh, r- vocal range, technically. And so, uh, anyway, <laughs> not a song we got to see. But uh, we did get to see Ghost. And, and maybe in part, that got me thinking about the subject of today's episode. The subject of that song, Elizabeth. And that is Countess Elizabeth Bathory. Mm. Uh, remember, listener, we are in Vampire Month here on Ain't It Scary. And who are you? Oh, do you want to still do that this week, Carrie? Yes. Hello. I mean, what do you mean? And welcome to Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie, <laughs> brought to you by Killer Podcasts and Evergreen Podcasts Network. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. It's the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre and tries to find an answer. Hello, Caroline. Oh, God. Thank you. I I was about to have an anxiety attack. It didn't feel right till we were there. Okay, so we are in Vampires Week (laughs) 2. Is it a vampire weekend? Um, Well, in between the vampire weeks, there would have to be vampire weekends, but Mm -hmm. those are happening off pod, Mm. unfortunately. This week, Caroline, we're talking about another figure. Last week, listener, you can check back and uh, hear all about Vlad the Impaler of Wallachia. An episode that really made me want to watch just that Castlevania show on Netflix in full. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of talk about Wallachia there, of course. And a lot of talk about Vlad Dracula. Uh, But this week, we're talking about another possible inspiration for Dracula himself, Bram Stoker's Dracula. In the person of Countess Elizabeth Bathory de Exed. What? De Exed. She was from the Exed branch of the family. So it's Elizabeth Bathory de Exed. De Exed. Um, Although in Hungarian, her name was Bathory Erzebit. Hmm. And uh, I don't know, maybe I'll switch back and forth as we go through, through this. Maybe I'll just default to Liz. It's a little easier. Okay. I feel like with all the Vlads and Dan's last week, we might want to keep it as easy as possible. Well, we're still very much in the land of the Stevens, remember? And so uh, uh, keep an eye on the Steven counter. Maybe we could play, you know, drink if you hear the name of Steven in this episode. And, uh, well, you'll end up dead. Great. Airship at the Battery is uh, popularly considered one of the most vicious serial killers of all time and actually holds the official distinction of Guinness's deadliest female murderer in history. Really? Yeah, even though there's provable. No, even though there's no specific number of victims even, it's just like, yeah, she probably huh. was the most though. Yeah, they're usually much more diligent about things like that. Yeah. Well, um the details in some parts of uh, Ershebet's story are hard to come by uh, because this is we're still going way back here this is a woman who was born august 7th 1560 and died august 12th 1614 so we are going way back although remember with vlad the impaler story we didn't even have a like a fixed year for his birth or death that's true so we've got a lot more detail on this story a little improvement uh between 1590 and 1610 not to put too fine a point on it not to bury the lead Bathory and four of her servants were accused of torturing and killing as many as 650 girls and women, both noble and peasant alike. Wow. While her four low-born, while her four low-born accomplices were tried, convicted, and, for the most part, executed, the blue-blooded Erzhebet would live out the rest of her days in literally Count Orlok's castle from Nosferatu. Uh-huh. Which is appropriate since some point to her, more even than Vlad Dracula, last week's subject, as the inspiration for Bram Stoker's Dracula. Well, Vlad certainly liked putting wood in people. <laughs> um, he was definitely bloodthirsty, but I think Elizabeth's story is a little more related to blood specifically. Uh, yeah, or at least some of the rumors that have uh, uh, come to cling to this story, like a 
like a bitter mantle. Um, but yes, you're right, Carrie. Uh, she is closely tied with modern vampire myths because of, uh, yes, rumors that she drank and or bathed in virgin's blood to preserve her own eternal life and beauty. Mm-hmm. So, Erzsébet Bathory was born in 1560 on a family estate in rural Hungary. And she was born to one of the wealthiest, most powerful, richest families in the area. Remember, a hundred years before, uh, Vlad the Impaler was running around with a guy, with a Stephen Bathory. Yeah, in the same general area. And this is, in fact, he was Erzsébet's great-great-uncle or something like that. Uncle so, Steve. Direct line. Um Erzsébet's father, Baron George VI Bathory, was the brother of former Transylvanian voivode. We learned last week the voivode was like the king shit of a general area. For, <laughs> yeah, for I mean, a, I, that's exactly the definition. Usually for like two to four years before someone else killed him or, or all of his soldiers and sent him packing. Um, of Transylvanian voivode, Andrew Bonaventura Bathory. Hmm. Uh, now, Erzsébet was also great, great, like I said, niece of Stephen Bathory. He was one of the many, 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 many Stevens that Vlad used to pal around with. Back so in, many Stevens. Back in the 16th century. Um, her mother, Anna, was a baroness in her own right and also a Bathory in her own right. Double baroness. As a daughter of former Transylvanian voivode Stephen Bathory. Not that Stephen Bathory, not the one that Vlad was friends with. This is another one. Oh, so her parents are relatives. Yes, although actually from a different family line. So the, the lines had split 200 years before or something like that. Mm -hmm. But they were still palling around in the same social circles in the same area. So uh, one would imagine there was some intermingling of the lines all the way down the line. Mm. But two kind of distinct family columns there. It is still European royalty and we are still kissing cousins, obviously. Well, we're not. Well, no, but they are. Uh, Anna's nephew, so Erzsébet's mother's nephew, Erzsébet's cousin, mm -hmm. was yet another Stephen Bathory, <sighs> who, as Erzsébet was coming of age, was now Prince of Transylvania. There, things had changed a little there. It wasn't just a voivode anymore. They were independent, and there was a Prince of Transylvania. And in the same person, Stephen was also King of Poland and Grand Duke of Lithuania. I feel like Prince of Transylvania and King of Poland are just so wildly different things. Well, it, a lot of times this is why these marriages would happen, right? You would try to marry somebody who maybe was going to inherit a whole kingdom. Consolidate. Yeah, and, con and consolidate it up. Uh, the family was pretty well connected politically. Now, young Erzsébet was supposedly beset by seizures. She probably had epilepsy. But at the time, that would have been diagnosed as falling sickness. Oh, I think that would have been diagnosed as, she's a witch! <laughs> well, depending on uh, what you did about him, I, I suppose. Mm. Uh, she also suffered from migraines. Oh my god, she is a witch, because I have migraines. <laughs> and I'm a witch. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know about the migraines, but epilepsy is pretty common among... Witches. I was going to say heavily inbred Europe European nobility. Oh yeah, they're not doing great with that. And the blood, ironically enough. Yeah, just like hemophilia or, um, you know, murderous insanity. It's just something that pops up every couple of generations when your family is uh, marrying this closely. Mm. So a common cure for falling sickness, I just want to mention, at the time, in the place, included rubbing the blood of a non-sufferer on the patient's lips during or immediately after a seizure. Which I only mention because it's sometimes been brought up that maybe this is where Erzsébet gained the taste for blood. <laughs> huh. I, I mean, I've heard of bloodletting, but I haven't heard of just like licking around other blood to help heal you. You know, when we talked about the New England vampires and uh, poor Mercy Brown's brother was made to eat a cake made of his like sister's ashes. Yeah, but that felt cake. real off the books. Yeah, I know. But I think that's just what medicine was at the time. Mm. And that was hundreds of years after this. That's true. So they were just throwing shit at the wall, you know, sometimes literally. <laughs> Depending on how crazy and inbred you were. Um, regardless of her ailments, uh, Elizabeth, Erzsébet, Liz was raised as a wealthy... <laughs> Can I call you Liz? As a wealthy, noble Calvinist Protestant. And she was noted, even from a young age, for her slender frame, her graceful features, and her raven black hair. Mm. 
She was an, a noted beauty who also had the benefits of an education that had her speaking Latin, German, Hungarian, and Greek by the time she was a young woman. And sometimes tongues. Well, when we get to the lesbian or- orgies later on, maybe oh. she'll she'll be speaking in tongues a little bit. But uh, uh, those are, I have to say, vicious rumors. Erzabet <laughs> um, was growing up in Eastern Europe in the late Middle Ages, which I think we established last week as a pretty tough place. Yeah, place, time, experience. Um, now, the 16th century is usually, you know, like 1500 is kind of the end of the Middle Ages and the start of the early modern period, and depending on where in Europe you are, the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. But the world Erzabet grew up in sounds pretty medieval. Mm. Um, Hungarian law and custom at this time still held that peasants were literally the property of nobility and could be punished, beaten, or killed by them just at will. And it wasn't like a crime. They didn't have rights. Didn't have rights. At age six, Erzabet attended a public execution of a local gypsy who had been accused of kidnapping local children and selling them into slavery. So not a great guy. Now, is this a Romani person? Yes. Well, they say gypsy. G- gypsy has been used over the, like, especially when you go this far back, it's of been course. applied to. Nowadays, it can be a slur. Sure. But In we, sources, we don't really know. At, all I yeah. have is gypsy. Okay. So a local gypsy. Okay. Was accused of uh, kidnapping local children, selling them into slavery. Doesn't sound like a great dude. If he actually did it. Um, and so at this execution that Elizabeth supposedly attended as a six-year-old. Hmm. This man was sewn into a horse's stomach. Oh, God. And I thought, well, this seems crazy. So I looked it up. This is a real thing. It's a thing Luke that Skywalker styles? The arms and legs would be broken first in front of the crowd, obviously. The guy's arms. Yeah, the victim's arms. So that they couldn't escape afterward. And then they would drag over a dead horse and cut open its belly. And then they would sew the victim inside the belly of the horse. And then they would just drag the horse to the outskirts of town and leave it there. Who came up with this? I don't know. Someone who liked watching prisoners get eaten by uh, scavengers, I I assume. Although, to be fair, Carrie, and this is a bit of good news, you're probably not going to be eaten by scavengers because you're probably going to suffocate um, from the fumes inside the decomposing animal long before the, uh, you know, jackals or whatever show up. Well, thank you for that comforting fact yeah absolutely jesus so that's just one little little detail from her childhood um also just setting the flavor setting the tone when she was 15 years old her cousin i mentioned king stephen of poland and transylvania and luxembourg mm-hmm. king stephen uh, <laughs> right around erzabeth's 15th birthday ordered the ears and noses cut off of all of the peasants in a local village who he suspected were fueling a revolt against him Oh, my God. How many ears and noses is that? I don't have specific numbers. Remember, they were not people, technically. Oh, my God. Did they do it? Did that actually happen? I know it was ordered to be done. I assume it happened. Ugh. So, so that, I'm just saying, this is the world that Elizabeth Bathory was growing up in. Intense vibes. Inten- very intense vibes, Carrie. Thank you for putting it so well. <laughs> mm-hmm. In 1573... The 13-year-old Erzabet was engaged to be wed to Count Ferenc Nadasti. Ferenc, if you're nasty. (laughs) If you're nasty. Uh, He was, at the time, age 18. And this was a political union. He was a baron. She was a baroness. This is what you do, right? Even though they're both teenagers and she's very young. Um, Yeah, that didn't really matter as long as she could bear children. Yeah, in fact, her family had actually promised her hand in marriage to Ferenc three years earlier when she was just 10 and he was 15. Oh, yeah. I mean, people would get married by proxy as babies at this time. So so this marriage assembled a vast tract of family land in both Hungary and Transylvania. And um, basically upon their collective parents' deaths would make this couple the biggest landowners in hungary by far mm-hmm. like way way richer than the king is i feel like the king probably wouldn't be a fan of that um i don't know we'll see later okay <laughs> it could be he's cool 
I don't think so. There was, uh, we, as we saw last time, the kings do kind of change, you know, oh, pretty, pretty quickly in this in this time. Um, so who knows? Maybe you'll get some good ones and some bad ones. Hmm. Before the marriage, there was some talk of a scandal, or there is some talk of a scandal, when Elizabeth was 13, when she was supposedly impregnated, out of wedlock, of course, by a local peasant boy. And the child had to be given away to a local woman who was then paid for her trouble and told to just move to Wallachia and never, ever, 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 ever come back. Now, is this just another rumor or is there anything I tangible here? I think it's probably a rumor. Okay. Uh, inevitably, this story ends with the unnamed peasant boy being charged with rape and Ferenc being ordered to castrate him personally. Um... But the story doesn't seem to show up in any sources until like a decade or two after Elizabeth died. So it's probably just post hoc nonsense. May 8th, 1575, Bathory and Natasty were married at a palace in what is now Slovakia. Mm -hmm. And after a three-day wedding feast, pretty good, Game of Thrones style wedding, (laughs) but without all the murders. Well... To this point. Um, Nadezdi gave his wedding gift to uh, Elizabeth, which was a mountain retreat called the Kashtis Castle. Damn, where was my wedding gift of a mountain retreat, oh, Sean? We're not even done yet. This is a this castle's tuck, tucked into the Carpathian Mountains. <laughs> and, uh, and it was given to Elizabeth along with control of a nearby country house separate from the castle and a church. And 17 nearby villages that were just now hers, along with all the people in them. Sean, where where are my villages? You want to take care of peasants through the Hungarian winter? Hey, I'd be better at it than the guy who cut off all their face parts. Yeah, that's true. You can't be. You can't do much worse than old King Stephen, huh? Yeah. Um, the house, the castle was apparently basically uninhabitable in the winter because of the cold, and because it hadn't been like ins- old insulation, you know. Um, but for the time being, the two settled down in Nadesti's Hungarian castle and began a life of wedded bliss. She's still 13? Uh, by the time they got married, she was 15. Oh, totally cool. And he's 20. (laughs) Jesus. Oh, God. Okay. Three years after this, Nadesti was made commander-in-chief of all of the troops in Hungary. And, um... There was an enemy on the horizon, Carrie. Take a wild guess at who uh, the the Hungarian troops would be going to fight. Wallachia? Um, no, the same villain we had throughout the uh, the course of the last episode, the Ottoman Empire, off ah, to the east. Yes. And so, Nadesti would be away and back again, and away and back again, and away and back again, on frequent military campaigns for the rest of his life. And so, Elizabeth didn't get to see that much of her husband. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, they wouldn't get around to conceiving their first child until 1585, 10 years after uh, they first got married. Well, considering she had been 15, that's probably for the best. Yeah, that could be. Um, That doesn't mean they weren't trying, though. Sure. Uh, There would be four more children before 1598, at least. They had five or six kids total. Uh, meanwhile, with him on campaign, Erzsébet was put in sole charge of seeing to the feeding and protection of all these Slavic and Hungarian villagers in their vast holdings and defending the family estates from little Ottoman raids that would come from time to time, as well as just jet-setting around Transylvania and Hungary, seeing to the many, many business interests that Ferenc obviously wasn't here to see to. So she's kind of got a job as a noble lady i mean he's he must be putting a lot of trust in her to be able to handle these affairs it sounds a lot like she was running this estate most of the time yeah yeah and it's a big i mean it's a putting it's a it's more than an estate it's basically a small country okay hashtag boss babe energy yeah we love to see it total boss bitch um boss babe sorry boss babe boss babe boss babe (laughs) i'm boss baby i'm reclaiming it (laughs) Um, you can't you're a man (laughs) By the outbreak of the so-called Long War between the Habsburgs Which and the one? Ottomans. Yeah, exactly. Between the Habsburgs and the Ottomans in 1591, Ferenc Nadezdi's achievements on the battlefield and his cruelty and bloodlust had gotten him labeled the Black Knight of Hungary. Kind of badass. Kind of badass. 
Uh, rumors say, and this one does feel like a rumor, uh, that to entertain himself, like he apparently wielded these two gigantic swords, like anime swords <laughs> in battle. And I guess to entertain himself, like in his tent later, he would have servants throw him two Turkish prisoners and catch them Jesus. on his two swords. So that was kind of a fun party trick he would do. Super cool for rank. Yeah. And apparently on his return trips home, he showed the same cruel tendencies to his servants. Once, uh, Ferenc ordered a young servant girl to be smeared with honey and restrained while insects slowly ate her alive. Jesus. We don't know what she did to deserve that, but, you know, soup too hot, ice cream too cold. Yeah, I mean, oh, God. For minor disobediences, he was supposedly the one who taught Urshabet one of her favorite tricks, which was... I don't know if this is a weird Hungarian translation. I don't know what this name means. But it was called Kicking the Stars. Mm. And what it was is you would take an oil-soaked piece of paper and force a servant to hold it between their fingers, and then you would light it on fire. So like a fun prank. Super cool and fun. Yeah. Um, it's also rumored, and I, I there's, there's no good attestation on this. I've never seen a picture of these. Um, but rumors have it that Ferenc gifted his wife a pair of gloves ending in metal claws, which she would use to, to punish the servants and later to torture her victims. Okay, so minus that part, I do want some metal claw gloves, like Catwoman style. Yeah. So, I mean, you can get working on that, Sean. I'm not going to get the mountain retreat or the villages, obviously, so. These were like razor sharp claws. Still, it's cool. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Like drag queen style opera gloves with fake nails on the end. <laughs> um, on January 4th, 1604, Ferenc Nadesti, the Black Knight of Hungary, died suddenly and in the middle of a battle, but apparently of natural causes. He just collapsed of an illness. Hmm. It was a mysterious disease, but it was a disease that had, it wasn't a new thing. He had started having intermittent debilitating pains in his legs in 1601 hmm. to the point where he couldn't walk sometimes. And then he would be able to walk, but it hurt, and then he couldn't walk again. Um, and this is a condition that just nagged at him from 1601 to 1604 when he died. The leg pains, it sounds like maybe, a, you know, something similar to, it sounds like heart disease of some kind to me. Gouty situation. It could be. I mean, he's probably eating a lot of rich foods, mm. um, but it sounds like the symptoms of peripheral artery disease in a way, or diabetes, or, you know, pain in the extremities or tingling numbness can be symptoms of mercury poisoning, which some people have pointed to over the years because, of course, they have. Everyone was basically gargling mercury at this time. Well, that's the thing. It was prescribed as a... Um, as everything. As a cure-all for a lot of conditions, including um, venereal diseases, which a soldier on campaign often picked up. And if you want to learn more about... No. Uh, if you want to learn more about uh, mercury and poisons, check out our Renaissance Poisons episode, which I think would be very Astute. relevant here, because that's the same time period, basically. A hundred percent. So on his deathbed, he had a little time to talk to a friend, Georgi Thurzo, who Georgi. Nadezdi supposedly appointed, made like withdrew an oath from to protect and oversee his widow and his children. And remember the name Georgi Thurzo. Oh, I don't think I can forget it. So uh, after Nadezdi's death, Erzabet had the Kashtis castle renovated and she moved in there full time. She sealed up all those holes in the walls and got some fiberglass insulation in there or whatever she needed. This is the mountain retreat? Yep. And with her husband gone and Elizabeth uh, moving into the castle, she was now the sole largest landowner in Hungary. I mean, she was basically the landowner in Hungary. Boss babe activities. Owned a really good chunk of Transylvania as well and um, happened to be owed a fortune, another fortune on top of the one she already had by the king of Hungary. Oh, he's definitely not going to be thrilled about all of this. Well, I don't... We, we also know that we've seen some hints of cruel tendencies from her already in this story, so... Allegedly. So we don't know where to point the finger when rumors did begin to circulate throughout the countryside. They had been going on a little bit prior to her husband's death, but after Ferenc's death, all bets were off. 
and rumors truly began to circulate about what had been going on inside Elizabeth's castle. And, of course, when she was traveling around the countryside with her retinue of trusted servants. Mm -hmm. And what Bathory and what those servants supposedly got up to, we will look into after the break. Ooh, can't wait. I think you can. It's Some of this stuff's pretty nasty, actually. Oh. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Welcome back. When last we left you, we had taken you through the early years of Ershebet Battery's life, uh, actually end the 29 years of her marriage to Ferenc Nadesti. Gosh, that was all 29 years. Yeah, they were married for 29 years, and she is um, in her 40s at this point. Do we have any sense of what their marriage was like? Well, he wasn't there that much. Right. Um, But like, was he cruel to her? I don't think so. I think, here's what I'll say about this. Because even the nastiest rumors have them as kind of like him teaching her to be cruel or them being cruel together to their servants or him giving him, you know, knife gloves or, or whatever. Sort of a natural born killer's vibe. Yeah, I think... Now, the rumors also have them both cheating on each other, but they were rich nobles of the 1500s, and they probably were. Could have been an open situation. Sure, sure. Um, but I, I bet they enjoyed each other's company and were pretty good partners. Uh, like I said, if he trusted her to handle all of those affairs and didn't appoint someone else to handle her in that sense, I mean, he must have trusted her. Yeah. So. Um, Respected her, at least. We intimated at the end of the last episode that uh, a little bit before, but certainly after Nadasdi's death, rumors began to circulate through the peasantry and through the upper crusts of society about what Bathory had been getting up to behind closed doors. And especially in the early years, many of these rumors pertained to her treatment of peasant servants. And remember, they were her property, so none of this is against the law. If it happened. If it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, as early as 1585, Bathory was apparently meeting out brutal punishments to disobedient servants, which would elicit screams that Erjebet swore eased her throbbing migraines. The ones she'd been... As a, as a migraine sufferer, that's not how that works. No, no, and I'm sure that's an invented detail. Mm-hmm. But some of these punishments, again, remember... She was raised to not think of these people as people. So I bet some of this stuff was done. Mm-hmm. Naked girls would be doused with water and then tossed out in the cold for a while. Mm. Remember, this castle was considered uninhabitable in the winter. Yeah. Like just a few years before she moved in. So it's cold up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was said Bathory loved stabbing people uh, with needles and specifically under their fingernails. Ugh. Or for especially egregious crimes, of course, you can just... Simplify things and cut their fingers right off. (sighs) But by the 1600s, it was being whispered that a lazy or disrespectful servant of Elizabeth's might have their teeth or nails or fingers ripped out with pliers. By her or by someone? No, by a strong guy. (laughs) Well, I didn't know if she got real hands-on with these things. No, she had... There were Hands-off. There were... We'll talk about the specific servants who were punished along with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were four people who were specifically pointed at as the, the real helpers. Mm. Your skin might be burned with hot irons 
Or she might use a hook to drag at the corner of your mouth until it tore. Ugh. Some whispered, too, of her conduct while Ferenc was off on campaign. So, like I said, Bathory had lovers, obviously. Mm-hmm. But more than that, it was later written that her Aunt Clara in Vienna, she really did have an Aunt Clara in Vienna, she really did go visit her, but the rumor was that Clara introduced Erzabet to lesbian orgies, as well as to the dark mat, as well as typical to, aunt behaviors, as well as to the underground world of dark magic and sorcery. Okay, and there's a problem here. So af- sounds badass. After her trips to, oh, remember this is Eastern European. No, I know, villagers. I know. I'm just being facetious. After her visits to Aunt Clara, seers, sorcerers, and witches and alchemists would visit with Bathory while her husband was away, and villagers near Kashtis Castle called her the Beast of Shelte, which was the village they lived in, mm. and they claimed they'd seen her in the company of tall, pale men with fanged teeth. <laughs> That's just Nick Cave. (laughs) Nick Cave or Nick Cage? Yes. Now, a particular focus of ire, it sounds like especially among the servants in the house and the peasants down in the village, was Anna Darvulia, described by some at the time as a wild beast in female form. (laughs) I'm going to put that in my Twitter profile. Uh, Darvulia, and I think Darvulia is just a nickname. Her name was Anna, maybe. And everyone in this, in the contemporary accounts only refers to her her as Darvulia. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's kind of mysterious. She she definitely worked for Bathory. And it seems like she worked for Bathory's husband's family before that. She was an older woman. And I think she was a governess for the children and maybe the overseer for some of the younger female servants. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, there's reason to believe that her methods were very cruel. Uh, because there are court records of complaints made against her, along with Bathory and Nada's Day, um, in the early 1600s. And oh, interesting. So if there was a criminal complaint brought against her, then because they were her employers, they would probably just be thrown in there as well. Mm-hmm. But the three of them were all uh, accused and fined together for uh, um, cruelty to servants prior to this. So because they owned the servants, like why... Why were they fined for this? Well, I think because she can't, or or sorry, maybe just letters of complaint were written, but nothing was ever done. Mm. At this, uh, letters of complaint were a thing, I guess. Like anyone could write one, peasant or no. Still. And you'd write a letter and it would get entered into court and uh, then nothing would like happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are court records of complaints against this Darvulia. Uh, but the rumor mill had her as a witch teaching b- the Bathories to conduct human sacrifice. And the servants in the house said, quote, mistress became crueler after Darvulia arrived in 1601. Now, there was a cholera epidemic. Maybe they were just mean lesbian girlfriends. Well, around the same time, in 1601, (laughs) there was a cholera epidemic that killed a lot of the household servants Mm -hmm. shortly after Darvulia arrived. And I will say that in 1602, a local priest got really suspicious about how many people were dying of cholera at the Bathory house. Mm-hmm. And made public demands that the bodies be exhumed and examined, which, of course, they never were. I mean, cholera at that time spread and you died from it. For sure. So. But why not? Wait, where are the bodies, Erzabet? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So like we said, in 1604, with Ferenc dead, Erzabet, this old house, Kashtis uh, <laughs> Castle... And moved in there full time, and the rumors really started to grow. There were now uh, whispers that victims were being dumped outside the castle with chunks bitten from their bodies by human teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elizabeth's torture repertoire had supposedly expanded to include torches, razors, and tongs. And Erzabet once received a dress she didn't like from a seamstress. And supposedly she ordered the woman to be held down and her mouth sewn shut like Billy from Hocus Pocus. Okay. So I promised it. Let's introduce this murder squad, these most trusted <laughs> servants. Um, there was Anna Darvulia, we mentioned before, older lady, governess. Um, there was Ilona Joe, who was a nurse to Bathory's children. There was a, an older woman, probably also a nurse, named Dorotia Zentes who is also called Dorka. Mm-hmm. It's a tough name. Well, it's like Dorcas. It's, it's a version of Dorothy. Um, 
Sure, and I bet Doratia is also related. Mm-hmm. Um, there was Catalin or Katarina. I've seen it both ways. Benica. And okay, she, this whole crew of boss babes. And she was a laundress. And then there was one guy. He, I think he was young, uh, like maybe child young, because that, that factors into his punishment later. Um, but I don't know what his job in the household was, because he's only referring, his name was Jan Ujvari. Mm-hmm. He's Toby from Sweeney Todd. He was also known as Fico, and he's only described, again, I don't know what his job was, he's only described as an ugly dwarf. No. <laughs> so he was a little person, he was very young. Poor and, Fico. And, and he somehow got uh, uh, taken along into this whole thing. Um, these servants would later testify that they all worked together for Erjabet on this stuff, but that everybody kind of had their own thing that they really liked. So Dorka loved to cut people's fingers off with scissors. They testified to this? Why? Whereas Darvulia liked delivering 500 lashes with a whip. That sounds exhausting. But they said Erjabet? Erjabet liked everything. Alona Joe would later say, Anywhere she went, she looked immediately for a place where they could torture the girls. Why did they testify to this? Why would you ever admit to this? Oh, under brutal torture, of course. Okay. Now, cruising into her mid-40s, Erjabet was still quite vain. She was always covered head to toe in the latest cosmetics, and her hair was always pinned up in dews that took hours, honey. <laughs> All right, well, let's not age shame the woman. Pins for days, Henny. <laughs> okay. So one time... Rumor has it, but with her husband dead, remember, she's also thinking of her mortality. Mm-hmm. And once, the rumor goes, after flying into a classic violent rage and slashing a servant girl to death, you know, oh, there's another one, uh, Erjabet found while washing the blood away from her skin that her skin was smoother and firmer than it had been before. And so on a whim, she had Gorka and Fico hold the girl's arms over a bathtub while she made the cuts and climbed in and took her first bath in human blood. Mm-hmm. And this supposedly became a real habit basically from that point on. All the girls they killed, she would bathe in their blood, maybe drink their blood. Um, it is worth noting the really elaborate blood bathing stories do not appear until later. So this That's part not is... surprising to me. This part is really unlikely. But it's, uh, it's, it's what we remember from the story. It's yes. The, it's the fun part. Mm-hmm. In 1609, Airship at Battery opened an academy called the Gynaceum. It was a school for girls. And she was taking in the daughters of lesser noble families, uh, which was everyone, <laughs> you know. Sure. She was richer than the king. Yeah. So she was taking in the daughters of lesser noble families, ostensibly to teach them courtly etiquette. But supposedly a few of the girls went missing, and when the untimely death... Now, what's this supposedly? Is it, again, rumors, or is there any tangible fact here? I know that one student died, and... Okay, it's it's 1600s. And the death was explained away as a freak hunting accident, which to which there was a lot of like, but girls don't hunt. (laughs) Uh, And then there were whispers that Baroness Bathory might be finding more expensive tastes for her late-night baths. You see, it's Lush seems... bath bombs. Yeah. She's going broke. <laughs> no, the peasant blood wasn't doing it anymore. She needed the more beautiful blood of noble women. Blood's blood, baby. This continued to build. Uh, by 1610, the rumors had mounted to a truly ridiculous level. People were openly talking about Elizabeth Urshabet Bathory murdering the students at this school. <laughs> She's starting to have trouble getting attendees, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and no less a figure than the Holy Roman Emperor, Matthias II, said, all right, we have to conduct an investigation into this. And who should volunteer for the job to be the top investigator? But Georgi Thurzo. <gasps> Georgi, he's back. The man who had sworn on Ferenc Nadezdi's deathbed to keep Erjabet and the kids safe. This is like he's going out of his way to break his oath. Well, maybe it's just he has a nice soft hand. You know what I mean? Like, well, somebody's going to do this investigation. So if it's me, I can protect them. Mm, I don't know. Well, I don't know either. It turns out Thurzo was a very loyal servant of Matthias II. I fucking knew it. 
and he had his eye on bringing Transylvania under Hungarian control proper, and with Erzsébet's nephew, now the prince in charge, Georgi was looking to do anything to weaken the Bathory family just right at this moment. So the investigation was thorough, and it was more than thorough. Uh, Between March and October of 1610, more than 50 witness statements were collected, and by early the following year, investigators had over 300 witness statements. Mm -hmm. For two years, with no husband and no political allies, and a sneaking suspicion that there was some kind of a um, secret investigation going on, and why won't Georgi return my letters, uh, Erzsébet was left to sit in her castle, turn a blind ear to the rumors, and hope it would all blow over. And did it, Sean? Well, uh, I wouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, you know, in a way it all did, eventually. By late 1612, Thurzo had, been, had collected whatever he needed or thought he needed or thought he was going to get. And with deals already worked out with the local nobles about how much money they were going to get and how much the king was going to get from Bathory's estate, he arrested her in late December 1612. Because remember, she can write a will... But if she's convicted of these crimes, almost all of her estate will go to the king and a little bit will go to the guys who helped arrest her. Interesting how that works out. Like convicted witches. <laughs> yes, very similar. It's huh. very Salem behavior. I wonder if anyone had an ulterior motive here. Well, Bathory would be arrested by Thurzo in December 1612. And I don't know what to make of this. According to, a lezer, uh, according to a letter that Thurzo wrote to his wife, investigators found one dead girl and one in the process of being tortured when they rolled up to arrest Erzsébet. Hmm. You know, unhand her! Very dramatic stuff. Um, although it seems like they never actually asked the girl, the living girl, who hurt her or asked her to testify or asked her anything. Right. And also, when you take Thurzo's letter in concert with the other sources, it seems more like they arrested Erzsébet when she was just having dinner, and then later in jail, they confronted her with the corpse of a girl and another girl who was like, they were like, this one's been tortured. Jeez. Um, But in in any case, they did arrest her, along with Ficko, Alona Joe, Dorka, and Catalin Benica. Anna Darvulia had died of illness a few years before. Remember, we're covering a lot of time here, so... uh, Mm -hmm. uh, she escaped punishment, if you will. Hmm. The four servants were servants. They didn't have any rights. And it's interesting that they're mainly women, except for Ficko, who might be a little person. And in that case, he's seen as a lesser than anyway. And he's a child. And they're all serfs, right? They're all peasants. So, yeah. so they're, they're kind of not people, uh, as far as the nobles are concerned. The four servants were tortured brutally. And they all tried to place blame on each other, on Bathory, and on the late Anna Darvulia especially. And in the end, all of them would be forced to... All of them would testify against Elizabeth. They'll do anything to stop torture, is the thing. Yes. Similar things happened with Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn. I mean... People admitted to things that Anne Boleyn certainly wasn't doing. Yeah. In a modern investigation, none of this testimony would be admissible. No. Um, But Ficko, the short guy, testified that the mistress had always been cruel, but that after Anna Darvulia came on board, she started really wantonly murdering uh, both her servants and uh, uh, those she could lure in. Mm -hmm. Ficko claimed Erzsébet had personally killed 37 girls. Well, some of the other servants claimed numbers as high as 50. When a girl was to die, they said, a dark mood would take the mistress of the house, and the victim would be sent to the cellar for wine, where it was Ficko's job to uh, wait below and kill the girl with a knife when she came down. Then, Erzsébet would hurry to the special tub they'd prepared in the cellar with the other servants, and Ficko would... uh, after the job was done, hide the corpse in one of many secret passages and tunnels under the castle. So two questions there. Did they find any secret passages with corpses, and did they find any blood-stained bathtubs in the basement? Uh, A lot of bees there. There's a rote that he had found that they had found dozens of bodies. Um, but let me finish this. Let me finish okay. this story. Okay. For the, so the servants provided testimony, and then, of course, they were each punished for the crimes uh, they had confessed to. 
And Cataline or Katarina was given life imprisonment because there wasn't really any evidence against her. But they just didn't like her face. Well, no, it's like, so you don't have to die. Mm-hmm. We probably be, wouldn't be safe to let you out because maybe. So we'll just throw you in prison forever. Um, now, <laughs> Fico sort of lucked out as well because he was considered too young uh, to torture. Or maybe because because of his age, they didn't think he was like totally um, culpable. He's a minor, yeah. He was a minor kind of thing. So uh, he wasn't tortured. He was instead just publicly beheaded. Oh, Jesus. And then they burned his corpse on stage in front of the crowd. When you said he got off okay or whatever, I didn't think it would be beheaded. Well, it's worth noting that the other two, Ilona Joe and Dorka, both had their fingers pulled out with hot tongs before they were burned alive at the stake. Jesus Christ. Right on that same stage next to Fico's body. The fact that it's pulled out rather than just chopped off is like... They really knew what they were doing over there when it came to torture. It did occur to me. I was like, why does it make me so sick to read that? It's because it doesn't even say pulled off. No, pulled out. The idea of pulling out your fingers. Ugh, like a pesky hair in your eyebrow. Um, Erzhebet Bathory was officially accused of murdering noble women. Because remember, murdering all the peasants, not a problem. Uh, And also of torture and beatings. Thurzo originally wanted to confine her to a nunnery, but he ended up relenting uh, to just a house arrest instead. Why didn't they kill her? First of all, you get her land and everything easier that way. And second of all, I mean, it's not like nobles couldn't be killed. Well, you you have to convict them of something first. Wasn't she convicted of murder? No. She was accused. And then it was like, okay, well, what do we do with her while we get this trial ready? Hmm. And Thurzo originally wanted to throw her right in a nunnery. But he relented to uh, some of the members of her family he was more friendly with and and, uh, let her do house arrest instead in Kashtis Castle. Mm. So it was back to the Carpathian Mountains for Erzhebet in 1611. And Bathory would live there until her death three years later, as the trial just kept getting delayed. Mm Mm-hmm. On August 20th, 1614, Erzhebet complained to her bodyguard that her hands were cold, and he said, Oh, it's nothing, mistress. Just go lie down. Okay. She went and lied down, and she woke up dead the next morning, aged 54. Well, but she didn't wake up, did she? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, the location of her burial is unknown. There was a fairly obvious rumor that it was buried at the local church in the village until the townsfolk revolted. And they had the family had to dig it up and move it to their, you know, uh, ancestral home. But it's generally agreed that it's much more likely it was just buried somewhere under the ruins of Kashtis Castle. Well, they or they would have had some sort of family crypt. Right. Um, but it's not, uh, as far as we know, in the Bathory family uh, crypts. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so it's probably under Kashtis Castle is what a lot of historians say. And that is, I think, used in some of the exteriors in Nosferatu. Along with Very some other fun. Um, other you know castle ruins of that area. So that's the fascinating story of uh, Erzhebet Bathory, Elizabeth Bathory. Uh, but Carrie, did she do it? <sighs> oh, Sean, Sean, Sean. Um, you know, this is a woman. You, I see the look at you. See the 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 the. You're angry. Here's the thing. And you're Sean. not angry at Elizabeth. No. Okay. So being completely, totally forthright and, and you know, serious. Um, could she have done some terrible things? Yes. I think it's likely that she... It's likely that she did... Killed some of those servants. She did, yeah, mistreat servants. Um, I think a lot of the stories, especially the blood stuff, it sounds to me... Like stories that would pop up after someone dies, which you said the blood stuff kind of came up after that. Yeah, well... To to explain away certain aspects of things. But it's also... It's so based on her femininity, the story of like, she was so vain that she killed these girls to bathe in their blood because she wanted to look young. It's very misogynistic kind of language it, it it screams to me of stuff that men would come up with later when um 
dealing with a woman in power and they're trying to explain away, well, women shouldn't be in power. You want to know why? Because they're evil and they bathe in blood because they can't handle, you know, manly stuff like war or whatever. They're so, you know, overtaken by their looks and that's all they care about. Um, yeah, this, this is a woman. So I think I think much of the legend probably is is a mythology concocted to make her look bad because she was a powerful woman. Um as as a sort of warning against powerful women. Yeah. With her husband's death, she has both become the single, again, not even just the richest landowner in Hungary, but like basically the owner of the land in Hungary. <laughs> yeah. And like making the association between... Well, and she's lost her tough guy husband who was like right. the, the head of the military. So, so you know, a lot of your uh, protection of all that wealth is, is gone. But making the association between the Salem witch trials and this, isn't that far out of the box because as we discussed in our Salem Witch Trials episodes, you know, a lot of people theorize that's, that land grabbing was part of the reason why some people were accused of witchcraft. Well, And that, that was something that would happen all across Europe as well, as people would be accused of witchcraft to try and get their land. I mean, she's richer than the king at this point. You and, think the king's thrilled about that? And, no. And she holds the majority of the king's debt. Yes. And land. Right, so... You gotta get rid of her. And she's a woman? Nah, get get her out of there. And if she's convicted, the king of Hungary, just according to law, because she's a criminal, gets most of her stuff, and obviously you can't owe money to a dead lady. Right. Was she a bad person that was bad to her servants? Probably, probably most was. nobles were back then. Um, was she a blood-drinking, blood-bathing vampiress? I don't think so. And I think the servants... I mean, maybe they had some realities in there. Maybe she did beat servants or whatever. But again, anyone will admit anything you want them to under torture. Yeah, I, th I think a lot of the needle um, stabbing stuff is from like, you know, testimonies of other servants in the house who had seen this done or had this done to them, mm -hmm. uh, etc. But the murder stuff is really almost always rumor and... Um, I heard she does this, or I heard this actually happened, or... I mean, so much of what you said, and again, that's, that's not against your research. It sounds like that's just the story here. So much of what you said is supposedly, allegedly, it was rumored. She was probably not a nice lady. Maybe she did kill some servants. Was she a serial-killing, blood-bathing monster? I mean, it, in that sense, obviously, killing servants is monstrous, but... Um, probably not. That sounds like an invention to make her look specifically bad for being a woman. And, and these, you know, these people were intimidated by her. They wanted her power. They wanted her land. They wanted to get rid of her. Yeah. Obviously the testimony of the four horribly tortured, executed servants is worth I mean, you can't, nothing. Yeah. Um, but even in their testimonies, it's always between 35 and 50 murders. So that 650 number, where does that come from? Well, it comes from a private ledger that one witness claimed to have seen. Yeah. No. Which is a scary find at work. If you're like a nursemaid sure. and you find the book that has 650 names of... The of, kill list? Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, that book itself mysteriously never came to light. And Thurzo ended up charging her with 80 murders. So I guess he was just kind of splitting the difference. Now, did he really find corpses and secret passages and bloodstained bathtubs? He he made blustery claims about having found many uh, uh, bodies on the land. But did he produce anything? No. He did produce one corpse when he confronted her at the jail. That was the incident he wrote to his wife about. I mean, this guy could have just been I can get jealous of her. Maybe he wanted the his friend's stuff. You want a He'd... toe, dude? I can get you a toe. <laughs> um, yeah, this all sounds like a lot of hearsay. Yeah. Um, there's no evidence at all of the orgies or the sorcery. Um, like the teen pregnancy, the orgies seem to come from sources that started... Again, what's worse than a powerful woman? A sexy, powerful woman who right. likes girls. Well, ladies. But the sorcery rumors were at least in play at the time because the local clergy... That's going to happen. The local clergy did try to shoehorn a, convic a conviction of witchcraft in there and Thurzo wouldn't go for it. You're, you're telling me you're not going to accuse this lady of being a witch at some point in her life? She's too Please. groovy not to. Yeah. Uh, for her part, Erzabet wrote letters to the king proclaiming her innocence 
and begging for exoneration. Oh, yeah. He really would have loved to let her go. For the rest of uh, her life. So in my opinion, the real question is, what was Thurzo doing by prolonging this house arrest? It's, it, he kept delaying the trial, right? And eventually she just died. So is this a man keeping a promise to an old friend by sparing his guilty as sin wife the public shame and grief of a trial? Or is he keeping one of his great rivals locked up as long as he possibly can? There's also the fact that knowing for he doesn't have a case. Yes, to he doesn't. That's the problem, Sean. Yeah, I think I think that's what it is. He doesn't seem to have any stake in actually protecting Elizabeth. Um, you know, like he wants to get rid of her. He knows he doesn't have a case against her. He doesn't have any evidence. So what can he do? Well, he can make sure she's locked up so she can't have any power until then and i don't know she's old she'll die anyway soon right well he was right so yeah he's he's not a nice friend not that, a nice that fellow friend. terrible friend to nadesty mm-hmm. a- and to uh air mm-hmm. so uh there you go carrie air shabet battery mm-hmm. um what do you think you seem mad well you know it's just the typical bullshit isn't it sean um again my verdict Probably not a nice lady. Probably not a vampire. She shouldn't be officially Guinness's most no. deadly well, that, female serial killer. Guinness. If anyone there is listening, what are you doing? Guinness, get at us. Come back come to on. us, Guinness. Come on, Guinness. Um, yeah, that, that's that's where I come down. I mean, very much like an Anne Boleyn to me. It, it's sort of like, was Anne Boleyn a nice person? Probably not. Was she an incestuous witch that with, with six tried fingers. to bewitch Henry VIII? No, the only thing that was bewitching Henry VIII was his penis, uh, to be frank. So, yeah, I mean, these kinds of stories just make me very frustrated. That's why I was overjoyed to get to tell this one to you. <laughs> oh, I, thank you so much. I knew you would be on... Thank you for mansplaining this to me. <laughs> I knew you would be on the edge of your seat, Carrie, as soon as, soon as, uh, as, soon as uh, Erzabet was doing it for herself. So. I am. Um, yeah, that is uh, Erzabet Bathory. And uh, I think we're going to take it out here uh, with uh, one more listen of that great ghost song. Because, hell yeah. Why not get a little ghost in here? Let's do it. And listener, may you stay forever young. Four hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. The news this week is about us, Sean. (gasps) Very exciting. (laughs) And no, it's not true crime time, so that's good. Um, No, it's (laughs) Halloween. It's Halloween time, and we have a bunch of, uh, crazily enough, presentations and, I guess, appearances coming up that we wanted to share. Uh, Yeah, this is uh, 
something we've started doing over the last year, and October's our busy time. So yes. if you're in the Northeast, you can come see us. Yes. So October 1st, we're going to be at the Shakespeare Market in Stratford, Connecticut. Um, you can come by, say hello. It's very much like how it was at Paracon. You can uh, see some vendors, buy some spooky wares if you're local. Great uh, Halloween season date uh, to, to uh, ease us into the October. First, yes. Uh, October 5th, we're doing a presentation on New England ghost stories at Burnham Library in Connecticut. Um, oh, and for any of these library presentations, just go to their library websites, hit their events calendar, and you can sign up um, if you're local. Some of these are virtual, so you can even get at us from across the globe. Um, and if you need any of these specific links, feel free to email. But October 5th, New England Ghost Stories at Burnham Library. October 11th, New England Ghost Stories at Trumbull Library in Connecticut. October 18th, New England Ghost Stories with the Richmond Memorial Library. This one is virtual, so any of our listeners can sign up to join on Zoom. So that's fun. Fun little halloween activity. The 19th, New England Ghost Stories with the Dovertown Library. Again, virtual. October 23rd, Colonial Ghost Stories, a new presentation of ours at Durham Library in Connecticut. Yes, <laughs> I'm losing track. Uh, October 24th, New England Ghost Stories with the David and Joyce Milne Public Library. That's virtual. October 25th, New England Ghost Stories at Scranton Memorial Library in Connecticut, not Scranton, Pennsylvania. And October 26th, the New England Ghost Stories with the Good Now Library virtual. Um, so yeah, all of these are in the evening, either sometime between 6 to 7 p.m. Uh, we talk about New England Ghost Stories for the most part for an hour. And, um, you know, we love having people join in. The libraries love when... Uh, outsiders come in and sign up. So uh, we'd love to have you. The library is open. Honey. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then there's Halloween. And so we're very excited about all of that. We have our first Halloween Hootenanny, our annual Halloween party going on in, in the house. That's going to be really exciting. I'm going to be sharing my classic Halloween music playlist soon to our socials. Uh, Patreon first, of course. We love you, Patreon. And um, yeah, expect some little extra bonus Halloween-y content from us all month. Uh, do you want to tell the listener about our uh, resident? <sighs> okay. Well, so uh, as you guys might know, we moved into a historic home. I'm not going to go into details because I don't want anyone showing up. Yeah, don't dox us. Don't dox us. <laughs> Only doxing us, please. Um, so we moved into a very old home and... The first thing that anyone ever asks us when they ask about the house, first, how's the house? Second, is it haunted? And I didn't really have an answer to give to people for quite a while until recently. Uh, we have a portrait of Nathaniel Hawthorne that was given to us by my parents. You might remember my dad's was an English teacher, so the nerdiness runs in the jeans. And that was hanging on the wall in the dining room. Which is Salem-themed. The dining room happened to be Salem-themed, yes. But Nathaniel was hanging on the wall on a hook in the dining room, and we were all in the other parts of the house when it came crashing down. And we went to look, and the hook had not fallen out of the wall. It was still firmly in place. The, uh, the back of the frame had not broken in any way, causing it to fall. So somehow the portrait would have had to shift upwards to, to slide off of the hook and then fall. So that was very, very strange. And then uh, the next week, I have this little, because of who I am as a person, I have this little skull head um, sort of nailed onto my office doorway uh, very far above my head. I certainly can't reach it. And it was turned sideways. Uh, don't know why, don't know how. Yep, no room of flies yet, but we'll let you know yes. if we see that. Uh, any little weird pigs running around that's not our little pig, Poe, uh, we'll let you guys know. Um, the ghost figure, they've got that one covered. We don't need a pig. <laughs> yes, uh, but yeah, um, so that's kind of the, the update there, and I'll certainly... Let y'all know if anything else weird happens. If Sean sees anything that makes him a believer, we'll certainly, we'll, we'll, f we'll record a special episode Stop for that. Stop the presses. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so yeah, interesting things for this spooky season, for sure. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary and check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain't it scary. You can call us and leave a message at our Google voice number 203-666-5529. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'll be forever grateful. Special thanks to those of you already joining us over there on Patreon. Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, Christy Atchison, Kate Pope, Haley, Ryan, Enrique, Derek, and Ira. We love you guys very much. Thank you for being part of our little spooky family. See you next Thursday. Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe. Music by Kyle Ryan. You can find Kyle at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb. Ain't It Scary has been brought to you by Killer Podcasts and is a production of Longboy Media. One of Scotland's most notorious unsolved murders. To think that someone could turn a cheese wire into a garrote and take someone's life. The level of violence, the uncertainty, and the randomness frightened people. She always thought the killer was going to come back after her. Society needs to find that killer. Who is the cheese wire killer? Listen to the full series now, wherever you get your podcasts.